Hey, Christina Bella Carson, and welcome to our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am beyond honored to be here. So I'm going to start calling you Belle from this point forward, but I wanted to announce your formal name for the beginning of this podcast. But Belle, we're here today with Lauren Less, who was on our podcast, episode 230, Foundation for Healing. She was one of our favorite guests we've had on this podcast. We invited her back today to be a co-host to help us run this interview with you. So Lauren, can you say hello real quick? Hi, so excited to help co-host. Belle, I wish I could say that this was intentional, but you both are practicing therapists that was not the intent of putting you together, but it's just a happy coincidence. So we're really excited to have this perspective being brought to this interview. But before we get into your Lyme journey, what you did to heal, because I mean, just for a little teaser here, you did stem cells, you did SOT, you've tried peptides, you've done methylene blue, you've done DNRS motion code, right? You've done a lot of things to heal and get through this really, really difficult journey to now become a therapist and give back to the community. And we're gonna get there but we're going to start going all the way back to what life was like as a child. And Lauren's going to help us walk through your childhood and unfortunately the development of this disease that helped you become the person you are today. So Lauren, maybe we can start with, because uh, I do know from the pre-interview questionnaire, Belle, that you unfortunately at two weeks old had some health issues. Maybe you can start there, Belle, and, and then Lauren, if you can help us walk through her youth. Yeah, sure. Could you tell us about how things kind of started? Okay, so I was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate. So, um, you know, from the time that I was two weeks old, I actually began having surgeries to start the process of repairing um, that birth defect. So I, um, I actually do have like vague memories of like being like passed through like a window, um, like at a very young age. Um, and like my mom did tell me that like she did have to like pass me through a window um, at my first surgery. Um, so like my whole, so basically like I, my life started off, I feel in a traumatic way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I've had, I had to have like casts on my arms so that I didn't touch my face. I was, I had to be fed like through like a little bird tube feeder because like I couldn't um, like have like a bottle or be breastfed. Um, and then like after the first um, surgery, there were like many, many other surgeries, probably like 12 to 13 up until the age of 14. Okay. Wow. Um, what, what did your childhood look like after that? I mean, I, I, I had an amazing childhood. Um, I don't think that I realized that I was different from other kids because my, my parents were actually teachers at the local, um, high school. So I was always around high schoolers, um, athletes always coming in and out of our home. Um, we lived like in the middle of the town that my parents worked in and all of my parents' students like adored me and treated me like I was like really, really special. Um, specifically, um, and I wanna mention their names, Gina Frasca and Allie Mitchell who had a really 
um, important role in my upbringing and who I am as a person today. They, I'm gonna cry already. Like, honestly, like they, they made me feel like I was important. Like I was a powerful young girl, like at two years old, <laughs> like they made, they, they made my self-esteem and my self-worth, um, who like from a, from a young age, um, grow and they fostered it. Um, and they made me feel like I'm absolutely beautiful. They made me feel like I was absolutely beautiful. Like I was no different. And that's how I acted. Like that's how I acted. And I think that it wasn't until like I got to kindergarten and kids started like asking me like, um, and teasing me and being mean to me and saying like um, mean things like about my scars that I then started having um, bad self-esteem. Um, you know, like I never ever let anybody see me cry because I didn't want anyone to see the weak side of me but it it hurt really really bad the things that they the kids said to me um they knew like they knew how to get to me but somehow like i was able to rise up like i turned that doubt and that hurt into something else into a strength and i became mm -hmm. an athlete so I, um, you know, and I do, I come from a really athletic family. So I, um, if anyone wanted to hurt me or anyone wanted to try to hurt me, I would say, okay, well, race me. Mm. And that's how I became known as like probably um, the top athlete, like in the school. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your athletic background as a child? Yeah, so I was I was a really good gymnast. So I did dance and gymnastics, um, probably from second grade all the way until like seventh seventh grade. And I was like a com really competitive gymnast. And then I started to get like hurt. I mean, because I was really muscular. Um, I wasn't the typical gymnast for back then. I was a gym like if I was a gymnast now, I would have big body for it but back then I was bigger um you know back then the bodies were very very slim and slender and so I always felt like I was way too big and so again it was kind of like a body image issue um one of the coaches like lined us up one day and said if you don't have like three holes like or three leg gaps in your legs, then you don't have the, then you don't have good legs. So mm -hmm. I was very like self-conscious of like how I looked, how I was perceived by others. And this, that, what she did with the lining of us up, it happened like just right after, um, or just right after or right before one of my huge surgeries. 
So I had two like huge surgeries, one in um, second grade and one in fourth grade where like I was out of school for like about a month um, each time. The one in fourth grade, like they completely reconstructed my entire throat and, um, and amongst other things, um, it was, it was intense. It was intense. And like, I, that's when I knew pain. That's when I knew pain. Like I knew that I was going to come out of those surgeries and I was, you know, you go into the surgery and you're okay. But when you come out of the surgery, it's not like they're fixing something. I mean, they are ultimately, but you come out and you are hurting for mm -hmm. a long, long time. So I knew that it was going to be a really rough time for a while. So every time I would go into these surgeries, I would get like a surgery gift. So like in second grade, all I wanted was a guinea pig. All <laughs> I wanted was a guinea pig. This was all I wanted. I, for years, I begged and begged for a guinea pig. So I was so excited. I know I'm getting a little like off topic, but I was, could not wait to come home. So we were going to go to the pet store to get a guinea pig because my best friend, Abby had a guinea pig. And I come home and my mother already got the guinea pig. And it was not one from the store. It was not a baby. It was one that she rescued from the special ed class. Yeah. <laughs> because their special ed kids were cutting its hair. Oh. So, all right. So I had to live with that. I got the guinea pig. I named it Annie after Anna Green Gables because it was all red. <laughs> I just assumed that it was a girl. So two years later in fourth grade, I get another one and I name it, um, angel. And that was the start of, um, <clears throat> me having like the Guinea pig farm because Annie was a boy and angel was a girl. Oh. <laughs> so we, I was like the Guinea pig, like a uh, hoarder. So every <laughs> single cousin got a Guinea pig. Wow every cousin and then every classroom had a guinea pig All right, so anyway um moving on after that um so yeah I had a lot of self-esteem issues like for sure like I honest to god like I even like taped my boobs because I didn't want them to grow mm. okay anyway um after I was done with gymnastics I moved on to school sports which everything was outside everything was pretty much outside. And like, you know, we were aware of Lyme disease. We've heard of Lyme disease. We're from New Jersey. No one really knew to the extent of what Lyme disease could like do to you. Um, so, you know, like I'm playing, like, you know, I'm, I'm an athlete doing like, you know, I love doing what I do. My mother and father were both coaches. Um, my grandfather um, actually played for the Eagles. Um, my uncle played for the Giants. Like I come from a really athletic family. Yeah, it sounds like so, it. Yeah, so like 
you you think that you're doing something good because like because you're outside mm -hmm. um you know you get chiggers all over your legs and you're just like oh whatever you're, you're fine like this is you're in nature you don't really think twice about it this is what happens you're outside it is what it is you keep going um and then there was a difference between eighth grade and ninth grade like i noticed changes um both physically and mentally like i wasn't able to remember like things that i, I was because i was a really good student but i wasn't able to remember things that i studied anymore mm -hmm. um i I learned, I hope none of my students, <laughs> I learned how to cheat. So I was like, I was writing notes and like keeping them in my hand. But Belle, at this point in your life, were you sharing with your parents the change that was going on with your mental abilities and your abilities to remember, right? Your, yeah. your cognitive abilities were changing and they're yeah. changing pretty quickly. So A, did you share with your parents and B, did your parents even notice the change? And if so, were you doing anything to address it, seeing doctors or were you attributing these things possibly to all the surgeries and the other health issues that were going on in your life? So, I mean, like, I don't think at that time we would attribute anything to the surgeries because, you know, I had just, I had gotten all of these surgeries. I had pretty much one left at this point, one left at um, the end of ninth grade. And this, all of these symptoms had kind of started um, the beginning of ninth, of ninth grade. I definitely shared with my parents what I was feeling, what was going on. I was in all honors classes. There was a point in time where I dropped down to like an AP class, um, an AP math class, because it was just too much. Like I was struggling and it was like, this is why struggle this much. If, excuse me, if we can just drop down to um, an honors class, mm -hmm. but it was like nothing that was like, Ooh, there really has to be something wrong. Like we really need to, we should go to the doctor. Not yet. Like, no, nothing, nothing. Um, significant enough for that yet um you know I went through ninth grade had that last surgery um and then we moved um to the next town it was then that things started getting worse um I think the stress of the move of the new school, of all of that stuff could have played a role. Um, I, I started painting like all the time. So, and I was, I was also a track runner too. So like at first it was exercise induced. So we thought, okay, like maybe it's something to do with like the exercise and whatever. So, so what were your symptoms? So when you say exercise induced, what was happening? Because that, that was my first symptom as well. That was sort of dismissed. I'm curious, what was happening after you go for a run or you'd, you'd exert yourself? What kind of symptoms were you experiencing that people listening can share with others to be an early warning sign of maybe Lyme disease or another tick-borne illness? 
So I was fainting like when I was running specifically like uphills, specifically uphills. So I, I got the tilt table test, passed out like right away. They told me I had the, um, the syncope. Yep. Uh, what's it called? Basal. Oh, oh basal vagal syncope, right? Basal vagal syncope. I didn't get, I wasn't diagnosed with POTS yet, but I do think it's very interesting about the basal vagal syncope and the, um, what's the, what's the nerve that runs all Vag the vagus nerve? nerve? The vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting about that because seeing as how the vagus nerve is the biggest nerve in the body and how it can affect everything. Mm -hmm. and it runs all the way down and how that was I think it's really interesting how that was my first diagnosis because um I mean the vagus nerve just it just affects everything and so that was my first diagnosis the basal vagal syncope and this now, is when you were nine years old right so I was I was 16 so I'm sorry 16 okay so they told me to drink like massive amounts of Gatorade at this point. So I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. So I'm drinking tons of Gatorade and I gain tons of weight. Okay. So Was it helping? So it helped for a little bit. Yeah. So it helped, but then it didn't. And then I started to faint all the time. <laughs> so, um, Okay. Then I'm starting to get exhausted. Like, like it's to the point where it's difficult for me to, to get up, to go to school. Um, and I live like three minutes from the school and I could barely even make it on time to school every day. Now there, ironically, there was a girl in my like class who had chronic Lyme disease. Oh. Okay. So let's <laughs> pause it for a second. So you were at this point now familiar with Lyme disease and also chronic Lyme disease about how severe it can be, right? No, because I mean, I just heard of it. I knew okay. she had it, but like, I didn't pay any attention. So you knew she had something called chronic Lyme disease, but it's all you knew. You knew she was sick and she had chronic Lyme disease. I, mean, I don't know if I knew she had chronic Lyme disease. I knew she had Lyme disease maybe, but I didn't pay any attention. I also wonder when you, so like I'm seeing this this perfect storm develop. You're having all these surgeries. You're you know you're compromised from a young age. All these surgeries are putting stress on your body, stress on you physically and emotionally. Then you move. You have the stress of moving from one you know one town to another, and then that's when your fainting spells begin when you exercise. And a little before that, you were out and about, you know, constantly being bit by ticks and other things, and didn't really know how dangerous that could be, right? But when you moved, that seemed like a, a pivotal point in your health journey. Do you think looking back that maybe you were exposed to mold in your home? That was another trigger because I think all these things are triggers, you know, your, your surgeries, your tick bite, the stress of being bullied in school, the stress of, of a move, you know, do you think there was more to the picture and, or am I getting ahead? Is there, is there any, any of that thought ever occurred to you looking back? So it's funny actually that you say about the mold. I, there actually could have been mold in, there could have been mold in the house. I, I don't know. We were not, we never thought about it back then. 
There could have been mold in that other high school, the oh. previous one, because the whole thing got like ripped down, like not too long ago and kind of be completely redone because somebody got very, very ill. Mm. So, and that is when I started getting sick is when I went into that school in the ninth grade. So, I mean, that could have been, I never even thought about that. That could have been that. Um, I did have mold for sure. Years following, yeah. like for sure. But I mean, like, there's a lot of different things. Like also when we, it, for a little while, when we moved, like we had to stay in a rental house, which there's no doubt it had mold. Like, you know, it was right on the water. Um, definitely had mold. So like, there's so many little things that like, you know, that back then we were very naive about because we had never been through the experience of chronic Lyme disease. Like we've been through now. <laughs> and Bella, again, just for context, where, what city did you grow up in and what, you know, what state, just give us an idea of where you are in the country. Little Lake Harbor, New Jersey. Where ticks are pretty prominent and Lyme is pretty prominent, correct? Very prominent. So, I mean, it's just, it's another, it's another awareness and education piece that we hear time and time again, especially, you know, what we call the tri-state area, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and just the East coast in general. So it's, it's another confirmation of a lack of education in Lyme disease. Right. But at this point now it's affecting your ability to exercise. It's affecting your ability to now even just function because you're fainting in normal experiences, not just when you're, when you're running or exercising. So are you starting to see doctors? Because now this is pretty severe. You're fainting. Now you're fainting, you know, just regular, regular activities. What are your, what are your doctors saying? What are you thinking? What is your family thinking? And how is it impacting, you know, your young life as, as a, as a student at this point? Um, so I, so they just kept telling me it was going to go away. And, um, I, And I had no diagnosis. So it was not, I, I kind of just pushed through it because I, I really at that point wouldn't allow it to like, to stop me. Like I wasn't, I didn't have any physical symptoms. I'm besides, you know, well, fainting is physical, right? I mean, come on, so <laughs> absolutely. But like, I didn't hurt <laughs> and because I didn't hurt, like, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna stop. Bill, were there any other symptoms besides fainting? So were, were, were there any, you talked about brain fog and you talked about a cognitive decline. So you were having cognitive issues. You yeah. were having physical issues with fainting. Were there any, any other early symptoms that were warning signs before things got worse? Well, so then I started to like, well, like I said, I was really tired. Like fatigue, yep. Really tired. So then I, um, then I started to have really bad migraines. Then I was, I, I didn't, I got my period like one time, um, I think like when I was 13 and then it never came back. So I, I had to start birth control to like start my period. As a man, that doesn't seem normal. So maybe you can weigh in. Is that, is that, is that another thing that was dismissed? I shouldn't have been dismissed or is that more common than I would think? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Lauren? I just... I think it's commonly done, 
you know, I think commonly girls, young girls are put on birth control when something's going wrong with their period instead of looking for the root cause of what's actually going on um, and why maybe you didn't get your period again. Or, you know, I think there's various things that could happen with, with the menstrual cycle. But yeah, I think that's typical um, and unfortunate that it's not looked into further. Yeah, Lauren, what are your thoughts though on Belle's experience with doctors? You know, she's now in high school going to doctors, fainting, having fatigue, ha having this cognitive decline and being told she's fine, right? There's nothing wrong and just keep pushing through. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? That's infuriating for me to hear, but mm -hmm. I just want to get your views on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way as you and I think that sounds very similar to what happened to me. Um, so it's very frustrating and I know it happens to a lot of other people too. And um, yeah, it's it's horrible. And Belle, I know, you know, if you didn't go through what you went through, you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be helping other people and you wouldn't be this force on our podcast. But if you looking back, if you had that crystal ball, what would you have done differently? Would you have, would you have urged your parents to fight harder for a more root cause diagnosis? Because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are at varying stages of their healing journey. And I was at a point for many years where I was stuck and many people that listen to this podcast are there so what, what tips or tricks would you give people that were, that are currently at that part of their journey where you were then in high school? <sighs> you know, mystery illness, maybe I have Lyme disease. I found this podcast or a family member did, and, you know, I have indeterminate results. You know, what, what kind of advice would you give somebody in that, in that boat? So I, so I think that I, I did not think that I was sick. I think that I did not think that there really was something wrong with me um, until, until it was almost like too late. Now, if you see a decline, if you, if you see that there is something starting to be wrong with you, and you know yourself, then you need to be your own best advocate. Um, I think that, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, I was so, so young, you know, mm -hmm. I was 16 years old. I don't think that I, I, I don't think that I was that, I don't want to say smart, but unfortunately I really was not that smart. If you think about it, I lost, um, but, I mean, I, I started losing like my cognitive abilities mm -hmm. after eighth grade. So I can't really say that I could understand myself or what was going on inside my body fully. Yeah. Um, I couldn't even really truly describe to, to my parents, I think because I really wasn't fully, I don't think fully understanding. I, like it sounds, <laughs> it sounds horrible, but I really don't think I was fully understanding. No, I, I think this is a really important point, right? That sort of counters my question, which is I was so impaired. I could not properly communicate with my parents about what was going on in my body, nor could I communicate with a doctor. And I mean, I remember experiences I've had where I'd go to a doctor and just stare and be at a loss for words. So how can you how can you advocate for yourself if you're so impaired because of the disease that you can't communicate and share what's what's going on? And I think the only really maybe the only potential hack there is going to be rely on those around you, your family, your parents, your loved ones to say, "Hey, Bell, 
something's not right. This is what I'm noticing changing you. And let's go figure out why. Let's try to investigate and lean on the people who are of sound mind at that point to help you find what's going on. But I, I, that's a really good point that how can you possibly, you know, go and advocate when you are so impaired, right? I mean, Lauren, what do you think about that? I never really thought about that perspective when we have this discussion about how can we advocate better for ourselves or how could we shortcut ourselves to, to a diagnosis, but we are really sick. So there's a limitation there. Yeah. And I think it's very young. It's hard when you're very young too, when you're in middle school or high school or, you know, whatever age, um, I found the same thing with myself as I didn't really know that something was wrong because I was just like, Oh, you know, I think everyone feels like this. Like my friends tell me they're tired too, or like, you know, um, whatever it is. So I think I just didn't, it, it's hard to know that it's not normal, I guess, if that makes sense. No, it uh, does. You, you explain do it away. To, yeah. You do kind of have to rely on, you know, other people, I guess, to say like, okay, it's not normal that you're not able to go to school. You're missing all this school. You're sick all the time. You can't make it to your sports after school. Um, you know, there's a lot of like red flags that can pop up. Yeah. And, and Belle, I'm going to jump ahead because I think that's now that I'm recalling your story from your questionnaire for this podcast, it was your father who eventually felt Lyme disease and pushed it and got you diagnosed a couple of years later, right? So it's sort of validating that it's the people around us who can identify the changes, the symptoms, do the research. For me, it was my mom. And they're the ones who can help us get the proper diagnosis, right? But talk to us about, so now you're 16, you know, you're going on 17, 18, you're just fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. But unfortunately, you're just getting worse and worse and worse. And doctors are dismissing you and explaining away your symptoms. When you're 18, something happened. And that was really, I think, the catalyst for your for your perfect storm. And that was your crash. Can you just walk us through, Belle, what happened then and what impact it had on your life? So I I was driving to school and um, every day, like I would, it, I would have to be like stopped at a stop sign for a while to pull into traffic or make a right into like a pretty busy road. And um, I was stopped for a while and I got rear-ended by a Mack truck and I was pushed into traffic. Um, but being rear-ended was kind of the catalyst that, and the trauma, because they say Lyme is usually brought out by trauma, that brought the majority of the symptoms out. So I was, I already probably had it. And then it really came out <laughs> head first, headstrong, um, right away, right after the car accident. So the first major thing was, um, the jaw pain, the jaw pain, jaw pain, jaw pain. So I, they, you know, I went to, I guess, a TMJ specialist, um, at, um, U of Penn and I guess, I don't really remember. I, I don't really remember exactly what he said, but he sent me to one, like in Summers Point by my house, not too far from my house. And this was right before I was supposed to start college. And I actually had gotten a scholarship to go to a college, like, um, in New York, Hofstra. And I didn't take it because it was, I felt like it was too far. Um, and I, like, I knew there was medical conditions that I, there was something wrong. 
Um, but obviously I didn't know what it was. And so I went to a college closer to home. Well, at this point though, so this is, there's a change here in you, how you view yourself. You thought there was nothing wrong and you thought this was normal to be having oh. these fainting spells. And so was there a change here where you realized after the car accident, something yeah. is wrong and I don't know what, right? And I was scared and I was scared because, um, because I was having a lot of pain. Now I'm starting to have pain. Give us more of the symptoms. So you, obviously the jaw pain, you went to see, you know, TMJ specials. What other symptoms popped up after the physical traumatic event of the car accident that you had? So, I mean, um, like transient pain, like moving all over the body. So like it would be different all the time. So like the jaw pain was all the time, constant head pain, but like it would move around in, um, other parts so like the ankles would would be painful then the knees would be painful then the hips would be painful then like maybe one day one ankle would be painful then one hip would be painful then like one hip like it would just move around were, um, you, were you seeing any other doctors besides a tmj specialist nope none okay um then like i would notice that like when i would be walking and i actually well, I'll talk about that in a second. Like I'd be walking and I would like kind of constantly like crack my um, ankle. I'd walk, I'd take a step, then I'll crack the ankle. Take a step, crack the ankle. And people would be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you walking like that? And I'd be like, I'm not sure. Um, I'm just trying to, um, just trying to stretch. I'm just trying to like feel better, honestly. Um, but what was very scary was like in the summer before entering college, this jaw doctor was like, you need to see the world's lead. You need to go to Florida now and you need to see the world's leading jaw specialist. He was like, I've never seen like, um, cat scans as bad as yours. And I, I remember leaving his office. I'm, 17 years old, 18 years old. And I'm hysterical on the phone, hysterical. Cause I, now I know that there's something wrong. Now I also didn't tell you guys that when I was in seventh grade, I, I had a vision that I was going to get some kind of mystery illness. Mm -hmm. And this happened in health class. And it was so overwhelming for me that I had to leave the class and call my mom on a payphone and tell her that um, something bad was going to happen to me. And I was going to have some kind of illness and we weren't going to know what it was. And she's like, no, it's not going to happen. She's like, we all, we know what all the illnesses are in the world. So we'll know what it is. Don't like, if something happens, we'll know what it is. Don't worry. And then I said, and I'm going to get breast cancer at 38. And I actually am now, I actually now have like a lump under my arm. So, well, I'm very sorry about that, but let's, we'll get there. Do you, I just want to bring you back to, you know, yeah. so, so the, the foreshadowing of when you were in seventh grade, but here you are now the summer between high school and college, you're at the TMJ doctor. He says, I've never seen anybody as bad as you. You got to go to Florida right away, right? So what is so he's what is he seeing? Abnormalities on your scans? Is that what he's seeing? And and did you go to Florida? 
not right away, but I, I did end up going to Florida. Um, he saw, he said that it was, I don't, he said it was broken or something. He said that the jaw was broken mm -hmm. and it was the worst broken jaw he had ever seen. And I needed surgery right away. So, um, I, you know, like I, we didn't know what to do. Like this was very upsetting. I ended up getting a ticket on the way home because I was like driving, like upset. And, um, I, I don't know. So I, we didn't go right away. I ended up seeing, um, as many jaw specialists as I could in the tri-state area, which was every single jaw specialist in the tri-state area. Um, I ended up having two jaw surgeries done and it was unnecessary because ultimately I had Lyme disease and the guy that did the jaw surgeries and he was like located in like Palisades or whatever, he got arrested. Oh man. But it, it just seems like all of these, un, all of these misdiagnoses, all of the unnecessary surgeries which is physical trauma, all of the emotional trauma of not knowing what's going on, having these false promises that this is going to make you better and they're not getting better is just weakening you both physically and mentally. And the, the mental stress is causing you to be physically worse and it's allowing Lyme to thrive, right? So the longer this goes on, the more disseminated the Lyme disease gets and the sicker it's making you, right? So did you go to college? What happened? I mean, come now September, are you, I mean, you're oh, really sick. I can't imagine you go to college. Well, I'm in college. Of course I go. Well, of course. Bell, who fights through everything, goes to college because she's just going to push through it no matter what. Where did you Where did you end up going to college? Montclair State University. How did you possibly function in college with Lyme, with the symptoms you described? I mean, the cognitive the cognitive impairment, the pain. Were you still fainting? I mean, like, how are you functioning at this point? So at that point, I was not fainting. Um, I met a guy who. <laughs> was amazing and his name was Trey and he took care of me for the first two years first year and a half two years I was there because I was deteriorating at a rapid pace rapid speed and he drove me to all of the doctor's appointments for the first two years that I was there um and um like I owe a lot a lot to him because um I mean no one wants to be with a 19 year old who's ill um who's dying who's, who's yeah Belle and you know it sounds like he was a wonderful man but I, I'm I'm more focusing on your strength the fact that you went to college you went to class you still went to doctors Despite yeah. being as sick as you were, I'm just blown away that you, you still did it, right? Because I would have been in my bed and I would have not been in college if that were me. Yeah. So, I mean, you are a strong person as well. And I don't want to lose sight of that. But I do want to ask again, because you are so sick. What what are your parents thinking now back home? And what are you thinking? Are you still thinking it's all related to the jaw? Or are you thinking are you thinking there's something deeper? And that's why you're going to all these doctors to try to figure out what's going on. You know, where's your head at with, with your health? So in the beginning, I just thought it was all related. I just, I, I only thought it was the jaw. And, um, and what was happening was the more that I was going to the jaw doctor, 
the more I kept trying complaining about other uh, joint pain. And um, they were, they were not understanding, like they, they were, they were asking questions, but they weren't understanding. Like the fact that I was having severe jaw pain, like that was the main pain. Like a lot of time when, when you're in pain, you can only really feel the main pain that you're feeling. Anyone that is experiencing very, very chronic pain every single day of their lives, what I, what I found is that you really only feel the main pain. So when other pains started to break through, like pains in the legs, like specifically the hips, um, I, I was confused. Like, so they, the jaw doctor actually put me on Demerol. I was on Demerol. So that was the start of my pain medicine journey. That's okay. So then I, I knew something else was going on. So like I was on a lot of pain medicine and the pain met because, and I was taking uh, Demerol every day because that's how bad the pain was. And I, it was all, they were only giving it to me for the jaw. So obviously I was continuing to have pain. So the, I went to another jaw doctor and by some miracle, even though he, I actually brought my grandmother to this appointment and he like reamed me out. I don't even remember why he reamed me out, but he reamed me out for going to a lot of doctors, I guess. Like he said that like I had been to all these doctors and no one helped me. And then I was still having difficulties. And he said that this is not a jaw problem. He said, this is a something much bigger problem. And the way that he said it was not nice. It wasn't empathetic. He made me cry hysterically, but he was right. <laughs> it was a much bigger problem. But Bill, he's right that there was a bigger problem, but I want to argue that he's wrong because he's saying you're, you're seeing too many doctors. Well, I'm sick. I'm getting sicker and no doctor can tell me what's going on. So I will continue to see doctor upon doctor upon doctor until I know what's going on and I can take steps to start feeling better. Right. And that's the part that's unfortunate about these doctors when you're so sick and you're so just beat up and you have all this, these, this medical PTSD, we aren't able to properly defend ourselves in these appointments, right? So it sounds like it was there was good and bad here that he just reinforced the medical trauma and the PTSD of the medical system. But he's kind of telling you like, look, stop trying to see jaw doctors or something bigger. Maybe you got to look for a, a bigger root cause than jaw pain, right? And at that point, I don't even think that I really had like medical PTSD or medical trauma, horrible medical trauma yet. Um, it was yet to come. It was truly, truly, truly yet to come. The worst was yet to come. Um, so I mean, like he kind of pushed me in the direction to get tested for something bigger. Like I, I wasn't even really thinking that. And that's when he mentioned Lyme. So this doctor mentioned Lyme disease. Yes. Did he test you for Lyme disease? No. 
Did you go to a doctor who did test you for Lyme disease at that point? I did. So that is when he, um, that's when he mentioned Dr. Um, Fine, who is located in North Jersey. I try, I think I actually tried to go there like the next day. Um, and it, she actually like draws the blood there, I think. And something happened where she never got back to me, something of the other. And then, um, and then it's, and then I ended up calling again and she never got back to me. So then, um, I ended up going, and then I went to a, and then I went to, um, a, an infectious disease doctor because she was a Lyme literate doctor, but then I ended up for some reason going to an infectious disease doctor. Well, cause she wouldn't see you, right? She was too busy. And that's, that's the unfortunate part. Most Lyme specialists are so busy. They can't take on new patients and it's hard for people to get in. I mean, she, yeah. So the infectious disease doctor, um, I remember the day that a uh, trade drove me there, like in, in the snow, I, I could barely even get up could barely, like, I could barely get in the car that day. Um, and, but they told me I was fine. They told me I was fine. They said, did, did they know. test you though for Lyme disease? Yeah, every, yeah. Yeah. And I was fine. Did you ever get a copy of the results? Because I had a, a doctor tell me I was negative for Lyme. And when I got the results many years later, they were positive. So I'm just curious if you ever actually looked at them yourself. You know, honestly, I, I don't know. I can't remember. It was, I was so sick and it was, it was a while ago. No. But I'm assuming that it was only, th- it was like a lab core. Yeah, maybe it's an Elisa and not the Western blot, right? And you were, you, you were dismissed is really what happened, it sounds like. But despite all this, you're, you know, are you make, did you make it through college? I have to ask, were you able to graduate? Not right away. Not right away. Like I had to, I had to go home. I had to stay at home for a while. And I had to then go back to college and I had to have, um, I had to have someone advocate for me because Montclair said I wasn't worthy of a degree. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. That is absolutely horrible. I mean, well, the good news is you were, you advocated for yourself. You went back and you did get your degree and now you're helping others, but it's just horrible that you hit all these roadblocks and people just basically telling you you're fine, dismissing you and not allowing you to not allowing you to do what you needed to do to get better. Um, I, cause I have to say something like, so I, from the time that I went into there, I was registered with the disabilities office. Okay. Because of, because of, I had issues even going into college and they were one of the worst, one of the worst places to deal with. They told me that we have many people here that have Lyme disease. I don't understand why you think you deserve anything special or any special um, like treatment because we have many people that have Lyme and they're just fine. Um, and they said you, and you look fine. So that was one of the most horrific things that any, like that, that has been said because we all know how long it can take to get ready, how long it can be and the process that it can be. And then after the day of whatever that you're doing, um, you could be in bed for two weeks. 
So, um, yeah, I don't recommend, don't recommend. Well, Belle, walk us through, because I know that your dad was watching a TV show, right? I believe. And there was, it was a mystery illness TV show and the person ended up having Lyme disease, which made him think Lyme again for you. So it got brought back on the table because your dad and he just kept advocating and advocating. And that's how you get your diagnosis, right? Walk us through that from, you know, that, that part of your journey to your diagnosis, because it's so frustrating. And I'm sorry that, that you were dismissed, but I'm so thankful for your father to, you know, have thought of it again and get you to your diagnosis. Okay. So during this time, like when, once it was kind of opened up with the Lyme disease, um, and now that I was being tested for a multitude of things, um, obviously Lyme kept coming back negative and I was tested probably like three or four times. Um, my dad kept saying, I think it's Lyme. I think it's Lyme. And I was like, but it's, it's, no, it's not, it's negative. It kept, it's negative. Um, I mean, I was tested for everything under the sun. Um, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, um, Sjogren's, um, I think even a brain tumor at one point, right? Well, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and they, at U of Penn, switched my MRI with someone else's. Oh my goodness. So they, what happened was, is that I had extremely high growth hormone levels, which they then led them to believe that I had acromegaly. And ironically, that was like the one and only thing that I remember from biology. <laughs> what is acromegaly? Can you describe that? Yes, I can describe that. So acromegaly, if you get acromegaly when you are a child, you will grow really tall. And so like there's some professional basketball players that have acromegaly and it can work in your favor. If you get acromegaly as an adult, you will grow really wide. <laughs> So I was at um, U of Penn and like I had doctors sitting in with me and my parents and um, they would, they would come up to me and like be looking at me and my parents like as close as they could to see if there was like any small changes happening in my face to see if I'm starting to grow wide and I'm like, oh my God. Cause like, that's what could have been causing like my, um, the pain, like in my ankles and my knees and my hips. And so I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, am I like the one thing, the one thing that I said that, thank God I don't have acromegaly. <laughs> could I really have acromegaly? Then they weren't sure. So like I had to wait like three to four months to get into, um, Columbia to the acromegaly specialist then um but but Bill the part about this that blows my mind is they were just assuming you had it or thinking you had it before they can even prove it and we're like analyzing you in detail about it but yet we know Lyme testing is horribly inaccurate and they threw that out the window right and your symptoms were consistent with Lyme so it just again goes to show that we we're focusing on the wrong things unfortunately when when it comes to medicine in many cases, especially with Lyme disease. But I think I, I, I took you down another road. I'm sorry, but I want to bring it back to your dad and the, and the diagnosis, right? Talk to us about how you finally got the Lyme diagnosis. I'm dying to hear how 
how that happened. So I, I guess he would watch, we would all watch mystery diagnosis because it was relatable. And, um, he saw a girl on there that I guess had symptoms that were, um, exactly like mine, exactly like mine. And he, then saw that she was diagnosed by a Lyme literate doctor. That was the first time that we saw anything like a Lyme literate doctor. So we then went to a Lyme literate doctor. Um, and I got all of the tests and they tested me. And I remember Halloween of 2008, 2009, I got a call and I was positive. Lyme, Babesia, Bartonella, Ehrlichia, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, all of them. So you're 23 then, right? Yes. So you're 23, you get diagnosed. Are you, are, are you home? Are you, where are you? Are you home from college at this point because you were so sick? Yes. Okay. So walk us through now that you're seeing a Lyme litter doctor and you got diagnosed with all of these tick-borne illnesses, what your Lyme litter doctor was going to do to treat. And Lauren, if you can jump in and, and help us walk through Bell's treatment journey and all the things you've done, Bell, to treat. Because again, I know there's a lot there is you've done, you know, the ones that I really think are interesting are stem cells. You've done the PEMF stuff, the peptides, you've done methylene blue, you've done DNRS, emotion codes. So just, if you can highlight that experience and give us, you know, what helped and what didn't help in your, in your treatment journey. All right. So, I mean, so in the beginning, um, like they, they, you know, I was just, um, antibiotics. Um, I had, um, I was at first I did oral and then I did, um, and then I started with IV. I, I believe IV, um, I mean, I think that at a certain point, IV almost killed me. Um, and there was a time when I actually took the IV out of my own arm because I think that I almost died from the IV and it, I became toxic. Um, so I started to get into like alternative doctors, alternative medicine. Um, what, what I think really helped me the most truly was, um, IVs, IVs, mm -hmm. ozone, the ozone. Um, I saw the biggest difference in myself. Um, what other IVs did you do besides ozone? Um, I did hydrogen peroxide. I did vitamin C. I did, um, um, oh my gosh. Um, um, I'd be glutathione, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd be glutathione chelation. Um, I actually, at one point I had like a whole schedule, like it was like a, a scheduled, like, um, IV thing where it would be like one day, um, like vitamin C with, um, glutathione. The next day it would be, um, um, like maybe ozone. The next day it would be like chelation with the, like, and I'm telling like uh, my whole entire life was dedicated to getting, um, IVs. 
Um, and then like, I would come home and I would, um, I would go in like the infrared sauna and stay in there for like an hour. And then I would go into, um, the, um, I have a, um, hydro, uh, hyperbaric chamber mm-hmm. where my dad actually drove down to Florida to pick up the hyperbaric chamber and then drive and drive it home. Wow. So like, I'm, t- I'm telling you, like there was a time where I was dying. Point blank. I was dying. Um, I could not get out of bed without fainting and having a seizure. Um, I, it was a liability for me to get to go to the bathroom by myself. Like I had to wait. Um, like I had to wait for my parents to come home from school to, to go to the bathroom because like there I had, I had broken my leg. I had broken my foot just because I got up and then it was, so then it was like, now I have a broken leg and a broken and broken foot on top of being sick. So like just to take a shower was a nightmare. Like just because I'm so sick, like any time that I took a shower, I was freezing for days on end, days on end. So like, I probably took a shower like every three weeks, maybe every month. I mean, like I was, I was a very, very, very ill person. Um, so much so that, you know, like we talked about before it became mental. It became, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously the disease gave you know, went into my brain, it passed the blood brain barrier, Mm -hmm. but it was the disease morphs into something more, you know, do you know what I mean? Like it, um, it made me have severe rage. Like I questioned my existence. Like what is the point of being here? Like, why am I here if I am only going to lay in a bed? Um, And so I began to um, beg for an assisted suicide because I did not want to be here anymore. I did not feel like I had a purpose whatsoever. So... Um, you know, like my brother is, was, and is a, um, all-star athlete. He went to Penn state as a linebacker and is known very, very well known in the town. And it was very difficult on me, um, because I felt like I was nothing. I felt like I was a nothing. Bell, I'm I'm so sorry to go through this and, and you and Lauren are gonna continue on, but I just wanna I just wanna take a moment to pause and reflect mm-hmm. on people listening to this because I can relate. I had similar thoughts 
I, why do I want to live? You know, the, the suicidal ideations are real when it comes to Lyme disease and it's not talked about enough. And I, and I want to thank you, number one, for being so vulnerable to share that, but also being such a shining light of the radical transformation that it can occur if we have hope and if we continue to push forward and heal and do things to treat ourselves, right? Because I, I know I'm getting ahead, but today you're working a full-time job at a school you're also doing your own private practice and you're doing really well, but yet you just said you were considering, you know, taking your life, right? So for people that are in the throes of it and having those thoughts, please, please, please know there is hope and listen to the rest of this podcast because you're going to hear how Bell was able to overcome this. So I just want to make sure that we we provide that, that now, that, that bridge, right? And also that this is a real piece of Lyme disease. And if people are listening and having those thoughts, they're not alone, but please don't give up and please continue to have hope. And I'm sorry to interrupt your, your part here, Belle and, and Lauren, and, and I'm getting emotional, so I will mute myself again. Yeah. So, um, I felt so alone and, um, my mom, like my mom didn't know what to do. And at one point she reached out to, um, the, um, the Lyme disease United coalition. And there was a woman there, her name was Judith Wieg. And that day she saved my life. And um, she talked, she called me and she told me that, um, that I was a shining light, that I was a shining light. And that um, based on every, the way that I was speaking and the way that I was talking, she believed that I could help her to run a support group. And so I started a international support group with her. And wow. um, yeah. And so even though I was very, very ill, it gave me a sense of purpose. And at that time, it, you know, like made me fall in love with, um, I mean, even though I already loved like psych and all of that stuff, like I, I felt like I could help people. And I started realizing that like, that I could help people. And I met a girl, her name was, her name is Brianna. And I still talk to her and she's still really sick. Um, and she, she needs support. And, um, it's, it's, I feel like it's my duty to like, kind of like help and support and guide her. I feel like everything I've gone through, like, she's just a little bit behind me. So like, she's going to get there, but that's the whole point of this. Mm -hmm. That's the point is like to be a community because this is such a, this is such a freaking shitty disease a lot of people don't understand what Lyme can do to you because, um, you know, some people don't get really sick. Right. And then, and some people do, and some people can get really, really sick. And that's why we need to talk about this. Um, and I just found out that, um, that Judith died. Judith, the one who, um, that advocated for me. Judith was the one that advocated for me to, to get my degree. 
I was not going to stop until I had my degree. That was all I wanted was my degree. So Judith called and advocated Montclair um, on my behalf. So um, because like they they didn't want to like I just needed like um, accommodations and they didn't want to help give me accommodations. And she was the one that called and they eventually like let up. And now, yes, I am a counselor in a school. And- Bell, I'm going to pause you there. I'm sorry. There's more I think we need to talk about. So I, I'm sorry to keep there's so much of your story that I don't want to miss. So before you said that all you needed was accommodations. And I don't I don't agree with that because you were literally waiting for your parents to come home to help you shower, to help you eat, to help you basically survive. Right. So I just want if you and Lauren can go into more detail about the treatment you did. And which one specifically helped you become strong enough to be able to go back to school with accommodations to graduate? Because there is a there is a drastic transformation that occurred even there from the time of being bedbound and suicidal to being, hey, I'm ready to go back to school with special accommodations. There's a lot there that happened. And if you and Lauren can just go through your treatments, and even if you want to just focus on the ones that helped you the most, and maybe highlight the ones that didn't help you the most, just at a high level so our listeners can hear that. A lot of people listen to this podcast are always listening for what treatment options are out there, which ones have helped people, which ones have not helped people, and what are the risks associated with them. So if you could just talk a little bit about that and then transition over to going back to school, thanks to Judith and being able to get your degree and now helping other people in the community. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, so which, I know you mentioned the IVs and the, the infrared sauna, but which which treatments do you think helped move the needle enough to be able to get you to go back to school? Okay. So you have to understand like this is over. First of all, I went, I only went back to my undergrad for that was for one class. Mm -hmm. And then I was still sick for a very long time. So I don't know how I went to get that to the, do the one class. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how I did that. (laughs) That's a mystery. Um, To go back to grad school. Now, okay. So I believe that um, the whole underlying of that is the SOT, S-O-T. Okay. Can you Um, talk a little bit more about what that is? Yes. So the SOT, um, hold on. You know, it's interesting why, Belle, why why you're collecting your thoughts. We just did an Instagram live with Dr. Casey Kelly, who's a Lyme litter doctor. Mm -hmm. And we asked her what she feels the most hope about for the future. And although SOT has been used in the Lyme community for a couple of years, it's they're starting to get it more and more focused. And that was one of the items she felt she had the most hope for, for the future of Lyme treatment. And it sounds like that was very helpful for you as well. And I believe SOT started in the cancer field, right? And, And then it kind of got pivoted over into the Lyme field and how it works is they develop, they, they, they take your blood, right? They send it over to Greece. Yeah. They then analyze your blood to see what specific pathogens are in your blood, whether, you know, what strains of Borrelia, what strains of Bartonella, what strains of Rocky Mountain spotted fever, et cetera, or Lichia. And then they almost give you like an added, like, an, like a, like a substance that they put back into you that shuts down the disease in your body. Right. And that's at a simple level because I can't understand the science behind it, but essentially what do you have bad in your body 
And let's identify those things and then develop specific targets to go and address and kill those things by shutting off the cellular structure of the bacteria or of the pathogen, right? Is that, is that, does that make sense? Well, I'm, that's, I'm, that's exactly what it, what it is. So basically SOT stands for supportive oligonucleotide therapy, oligonucleotide therapy. So I, you know, I'm from New Jersey and I actually um, go to the Genesis Center in Georgia um, and I see chastity there and I've had two SOTs, two SOT treatments for Lyme specific, Lyme specific SOT treatments. Um, in the beginning, I was like, eh, this is, I don't think this is working. I don't think this is working. I do. I I believe that this works. I do believe it has worked along with other treatments, along with ozone, along with um, um, cupping, acupressure, acupuncture. Mm -hmm. um, I also do the peptides. Like, I, but I believe that the underbelly of it was the SOT because like you said, what it does is it, it shuts off or it stops the spirochetes from continuing to replicate. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you receive your SOT treatment on <clears throat> like today. Okay. And um, today, the this one specific spirochete is um, 179 days old. That um, spirochete will die tomorrow mm. at 180 days. Now, if you didn't get that SOT, then it would continue to replic replicate and multiply because, um, you know, it you didn't get the SOT and it's going to continue to replicate and multiply. But if you get the SOT, then it's, it's going to die at 180 days. It will know for however this SOT works, it just will no longer be able to live that life. If you get the SOT today and it's one day old, then it will still live its life until 180 days and then it dies mm -hmm. so it it just stops them from continuing to multiply and and that's it so like I have seen my I've seen that my numbers go down I've seen everything um and I and I've seen my symptoms get better now does that mean that I am symptom free no do I have really bad flare-ups hell yeah um i like what i feel like is that i'm starting to see that i'm able to do more and more like more and more mm -hmm. um and manage more and more like <clears throat> like i had mentioned like this is i'm i just started my very first full-time job three months ago in the beginning, it was, 
uh, there's like no words to even describe it. Like, I didn't think I was even going to be able to continue on. Like, let's just say that. <laughs> like I came home and it was, um, that was the end of the day for me. Like four o'clock was the end of the day and I had to go to sleep. Now, you know, I'm still awake at six 30. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's been improvement, you know, yeah. so like it's slow, but there's improvement. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people have this experience of, you know, it might not just, it's, it's never usually just one thing that's going to, you know, move the needle. It's all these different things. Um, so I think that's important too, for people to know, like, you might have to try a bunch of different things, um, and, you know, not to give up hope. Right. And it's, and I mean, you have to be patient and it's, it's hard because, you know, we want, and we all want like instant gratification because right. we all want to just get on with our lives and we mm-hmm. all want to, you know, do what everyone else is doing. And I always say like, don't, don't look in the other lane. Don't look left. Don't look right. Stay in your own lane because it's your own journey and it's your own experience. And I think that's what trips us up the most is looking at other people. Yeah. What they're doing. Definitely. Are there things that you're still doing today that are helpful for you? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I still see my Lyme doctor. Um, I, um, I believe that the, that methylene blue, um, helps me kind of stay on course. Mm -hmm. And then I actually do, um, NAD up the nose. Maybe it's still there. Okay. So I actually do like two different sprays, like up the nose, um, which really helps with my cognitive functioning. So one is um, NAD. The other one, I don't know. I know it's red. Um, I have to go check. I have to go check what it's called. Like it's actually a brand new, a brand new spray that she just gave me. You can let us know, Bell, and I'll drop it in the show notes. So if you want to let us know after the fact, then I'll put it in the show notes of this podcast. Okay. Methylene blue, though, that's something that people are using. It's it's It kills a wide variety of bacteria, Lyme and others as well, right? That's the purpose behind it. It's sort of a repurposed drug to get persistent tick-borne illnesses like Lyme disease. Um, And, and also, like, specifically, like, Bartonella, which, which I still have, Bartonella. Um, and I think that it helps also with like any type of like urinary type problems. Um, cause I sometimes I, I do get a lot of urinary tract infections. So. Yeah. I, I'm really blown away by the love and the compassion that Judith showed you, right? Because that's when you're at your worst and she gave you the strength to keep going and helped you and your family advocate for your health. And it sounds like she was the inspiration for you to go back to grad school to become a therapist, right? Is that true that she was what inspired you to to become a therapist and now do what you're doing today? She was one of the people. Um, I also started seeing um, a therapist who specialized in uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. And she really drove it home like she was like um her name was dr king 
and <clears throat> she she was the one I mean she was the one who um said that I could do it and that I should go back and then she also told me about the, this ticket to work program for people who are disabled because I you know am disabled by the state of New Jersey and um that's when I looked into it and the ticket to work program can help people who are disabled get money to uh, go back to school. And <clears throat> I still had like severe um, brain fog. <laughs> like I, even now I still do, but like back then it was like, it was really, really hard for me to even like look into schools. Um, and this was in 2000. 19 early 2019 and um it was january and i could barely do it could barely do it so it was too early then came like april and i guess i had got i got a little bit better um mentally and i was able to i guess do enough research to look into the schools and it all came together. It just all came together. So I have a couple of remarks and then I'm going to like you and Lauren to talk and geek out over the therapy side of Lyme disease. And a lot of people have been kind of combating me when I make comments, especially on social media. But, you know, I want I want to kind of make my point clear that I, I do, rec you know, 100%, we all know that Lyme disease is a real infection. It's never just Lyme disease. I, I think we all agree. It's never just Borrelia burgdorferi. It's a wide variety of Borrelia species. It's a wide variety of other tick-borne illnesses. It's a wide variety of other things going on in our body that lead us to become chronically ill with Lyme disease. And for each of us, it's different, right? So 100% valid, real, bad things in our bodies making us sick. But I'm a firm believer that how we approach that with our mindset, with our nervous system, and with therapy can aid in our healing journeys, or they can make our healing journeys much harder if we are focused on negative thoughts all the time. And I understand the bugs can get in the brain. I understand that Lyme can create brain inflammation, which causes psychological symptoms. I understand that Lyme, you know, we know from the leading experts, Dr. McDonald, uh, Professor Shapi, that these biofilms and these spirochetes and these other parasitic infections get inside your brain, which actually change the way you think. But I do believe there still is a lot we can do to help curb that as we're healing. And the value is significant, right? And that's where I'm coming from. So, you know, even, even in regards to your situation, Bell, right? You, I believe you are blessed because you had such a loving family. You had Trey, you had your grandma, you had your Lyme literate doctor, you had Judith, you had your, your therapist you found. And yes, it's it's horrible that you had to go through all of these things. So we could focus on, oh my goodness, Belle's life is was horrible. She never should have been served all these things. Or she's blessed to have had the resources and the people and the tools in her life to get to where she is today. And it's all about how we choose to frame things. And I think that goes a long way for people that are sick, whether it's Lyme or cancer or any illness in the world. And I think that's going to help us overcome any health obstacle. And I don't mean to be too generic about it, but again, I'm just 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 a guy, right? You two are really smart people. Lauren is a, is a genius. Bella, I, I know you're a genius. So if you guys, I'm going to shut up for the rest of this podcast until it's over. If you guys can just talk about the mental health side of Lyme disease and what you've learned from your personal experiences and working with clients in the Lyme field and how powerful the mind can be in healing in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a large 
part of healing. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and how mindset played into it for you, how, you know, nervous system played into it. And I think what's important to mention too, is like, you have to get your body into parasympathetic to heal. Like if you are stuck in fight or flight the whole time for your whole life or while you're sick, which a lot of us are, um, you can't heal. Your body can't heal. It needs to get you know, shift into that parasympathetic, um, or be able to shift back and forth and not stay stuck in the fight or flight all the time. Um, do you have experiences with that? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. So I, I also think that, who, if, if you are constantly, like Matt said, focus on the negative, focused on the why, why me, what if, um, you're not, it's, it is going to be a lot harder for your body to heal. Um, the mind body connection is, is so powerful. Um, your body can feel, um, what your mind is thinking. Mm-hmm. So if we can start making a shift, I know for me, like when I first got sick, I stopped believing in God, truly stopped believing in God. And I blamed, I blamed God. I was like, screw him, screw him. Why would he do, why would he do this to me? And then I, and then I, I had to make a change. I had to make a change. And the change was, this is for a purpose. This is, this is for a greater good. This is, this is, this is my purpose. And it was, it truly was because every single day when I go to school, I am the most empathetic person there. I am the most, um, I'm the most resilient person, like adult there. Um, I am able to relate to the kids the most and the kids love me. Um, and they can feel that, like, that I want to be there. They can feel, um, they can feel like my kindness and my warmth and, um, and honestly, like they can feel like that I'm okay because ultimately like I, I do work in a, um, you know, in a, in a district that's, you know, it's stressful, it's chaotic but it's really not that stressful for me. How do you think that change happened within you? Like, how did you change some of those things yourself or your mindset or your, you know, nervous system health? Well, because, um, I, like I said, I begged and I begged and I begged for an assisted suicide because I didn't want to be here anymore because it was my, because my life was, um, it was hard and it was difficult, 
Um, and it, to me, it was meaningless and I had to find meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I started to change, like when I, cause you know, like, obviously like I was sick and I wasn't able to, to do much in my mind, but when I changed that and realized that there is things I can do. Like, you know, I watched a lot of TV. Mm -hmm. I watched every episode of, um, oh my God, what's it, what was it? Um, like the, the addiction shows and um, like, like any type of like mental health show and, um, and all of that stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not doing nothing. I'm studying. Like I'm studying the people. I'm practicing for when the for when my time comes. And guess what? My time is here. My time is now. And and I'm equipped and I'm good. And I'm and you know, and that time wasn't a waste. And you know, oftentimes like, you know, we are always like looking ahead and we're always like, I, I want to, I can't wait for this or I, I want this time to pass, but maybe if we can enjoy the journey or mm -hmm. cherish the journey, I mean, those years were, were for a reason. And I, I can tell my students and my kids about it. And my kids, like, I just told the student about it today. And she was like, she was like, you, you are so important to me. Like, she was like, you are, she was like, you're my light. You're my safe place. I mean, how much, how much better can you get? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it's important for other people who are kind of in in the beginning of their journey or in the thick of things to hear these stories. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's important to know that, um, again, like that you're not alone, that you're not alone and that your, your timeline is different than everyone else's and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Like I used to think like, oh my God, like everyone's getting married. Everyone's having kids and it's okay. You know, and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is a part of it is kind of letting go of that timeline because yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, what you think it's going to be. It's, you don't have to live up to like the, so those, so the, the, the societal expectations um, you know, like it's okay. Like live your truth, live your life. Don't live anyone else's life. Sparkle in your own way. To Lauren's point, here we are today and you have students that are telling you, you are their light. You know, you are their safe place, but yet you wouldn't be here if you followed through with your suicidal ideations that you had you know, in the past. So I, again, I just, this is such a stark contrast of where you were from where you are today. 
And I just love the story of hope because we know if you don't give up, you can get better. And I know people get upset about that, but you can feel better. And whatever that looks like for each of us is going to be different, but you can feel better. You can have a purpose and it's okay to just be in whatever state you're in. You know, Max Neuer talked to us about the inner guilt we have when we're when we're sick and we're trying to heal. And that's really real also, right? That inner guilt we have to let go and show ourselves patience and grace. And I think the two of you really depicted that so well here on this interview today. And I just want to, just to, to cap this off, I just want to make sure everybody listening knows, again, for Lauren, your, your podcast episode is 230, Lauren Less Foundation for Healing. And I urge everybody to go check that out to hear Lauren's story. Lauren is a food blogger. I love following you, Lauren. Oh my goodness. The content you post on your social media and your website is just so good. I get so many good ideas from you. And that's your Instagram is less with lore, L-E-S-S-W-I-T-H-L-A-U-R. And that's your website as well, lesswithlore.com. And so, Belle, I think your your Instagram and your Facebook are both the same, right? They're Christina Bella Carson. Actually, no, it's Christina Bella Ray Carson on Instagram, correct? I think so. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I pulled it up. It's Christina. It's Christina Bella Ray. So it's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-B-E-L-L-A-R-A-E-C-A-R-S-O-N on Instagram. And on Facebook, you're Christina Bella Carson. If they if search for that, they'll find you on, on Facebook. And we have, two, I mean, you, you both are two powerhouse therapists that are working with people in the Lyme community. We discussed how important it is to focus on mental health while healing. And again, it's not, it's not in your head. Your mental health didn't cause your illness, but it's certainly a contributing factor that can help you heal quicker if we address it. So Rich and I always encourage everybody seek mental health professionals while healing. And the two of you are perfect examples of people that our community can work with. So I just want to thank you, Lauren, for coming back on our Boot Camp podcast in a different role to now be a co-host. And Belle, I want to thank you for being brave enough to come on and being so vulnerable to share your story and be so honest. And thank you both for coming on the podcast tonight. 